So, yes, well, we get to uh, Palm Sunday and um, I keep advancing my slide there. We get to Palm Sunday and um, we realize one of these places that is, uh, is critical for us as we think about the, not only the life of Jesus, but the, but the death of Jesus as well. And so I wanna look at that from uh, Matthew chapter 21 today. And so uh, actually, just actually like to start with the text. We'll read that and then uh, we'll just, we'll jump right in. How about that? Matthew chapter 21. And I'm gonna read verses one through 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, uh, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put, them on their, put, uh, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before, went before him and, the, and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this uh, time in our uh, church calendar and, and in the, the life, Lord, of our uh, these markers in our faith journey that we are reminded that these are actual events that action, happen to actual people in actual history, uh, Lord, and, and though it's uh, so far removed from us through the, uh, the sands of time and, Lord, that culturally there's much that we don't understand, we, we thank you that these are uh, events that we can believe and that we can base our life on. And I pray that as we look at your word today, as we think about uh, what it means to be one week from Easter, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and I pray that you would uh, move in us and I pray that you would teach us and the Lord that you would uh, keep me from error. I pray that you would help me to decrease that you might increase in this time. And I pray it in Jesus name, amen. So we come to Palm Sunday and we realize Jesus really is in the last week of his life, a week from that this day, uh, we are going to have, uh, have been through the cross, and we're going to have been through the, the burial and through the Saturday where uh, Jesus is gone, and then uh, we have Easter coming in uh, just these next, um, just in these next few days. And we can see, if we, if we went through and spent uh, very much time in Matthew, we can see that Jesus has been uh, just walking all, all over. I was just looking at it a few minutes ago, and they were in uh, chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19, they're way up in Galilee, they're in Capernaum, and then they start to make their way, uh, make their way down. So Jesus had been traveling all over, he had been all, doing all kinds of ministry, but at some point, he made his, uh, he set his face for Jerusalem, he started heading back, probably before the disciples even understood exactly uh, where the destination was, they were headed toward 
Jerusalem. And not only toward Jerusalem, they were heading toward the cross. And so Jesus continues to minister on the way. And we see that in uh, Matthew 19, and we see it in Matthew 20. He's healing people, and he's teaching people. And as he's teaching, and as he's healing, this crowd that's traveling along with him, it just continues to swell. People hear the words that he's saying, and they're touched in their heart by these things. They, they uh, receive, for example, they receive their sight back, and they join the crowd. They just leave whatever it is they had been doing. Maybe they were begging beside the roadway, and they join in this crowd, and they're all headed to Jerusalem, whether they know it or not, that's where they are destined to end up. The people, the people maybe didn't know, uh, the disciples maybe didn't think about, though they had been told about, but Jesus knew for sure what he was walking into. It's easy to kind of think about this time of year with uh, Easter and think, well, uh, Jesus, maybe he was just a, a guy who caught up in the, was caught up in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he wasn't. He knew where he was going. He set his face for Jerusalem. He had told the disciples, I cannot die outside Jerusalem. And so he knew he was going there and he knew that he was going to die. He knew he was headed for the cross. We really can see this uh, more clearly in this passage from John chapter 10. I'm actually turning to it here. In John chapter 10, 17 and 18, Jesus says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And then in verse 18, listen, it's just so beautiful. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So he knows where he's headed. He knows what he's doing. And so as he's doing these things, he does them um, with an incredible amount of symbolism, the, the things that he's, it's not just the things that he's saying, or even really exactly the things that he's doing, he's really, uh, there's a lot that we can see in the way that Jesus does these things. God is speaking to his people through Jesus, through his words, but also through his uh, actions, and this would be symbolism that they would uh, understand. It's a little bit more difficult for us sometimes uh, because we don't understand the culture in the same way, but we would have uh, things in our home cultures that if we uh, did those things that uh, we would immediately understand, right? And if you're in the United States, you might uh, strike some sort of pose like the Statue of Liberty and people would know oh, that's the that's some sort of he's doing like a Statue of Liberty. Or you might uh, stand like you're in this famous George Washington picture when he's crossing the Delaware. We we would think, oh, yeah, that's that's what that thing's from. And if you're in the Philippines or you're in Canada, you're in uh, you're in Nigeria. If you're in Malaysia, there are going to be things that you would have from your own culture. If someone stands up and they raise their hand and they say, Merdeka, 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 you know what that's referring to. Other people maybe don't, but, but you know. And so here in the scripture, we see this symbolism that is speaking directly to the hearts of these people at this time, and they know what's happening. That's the case that I want to make for you this morning. This scene that we call the triumphal entry uh, and what becomes known Palm as Palm Sunday, right? Because they cut those branches and they're waving them and they put them in the road and uh, all of these kinds of things. It's one of the few events that's recorded in all four gospels. It's, it's, it's really important. The, the things that happened this week are important and they teach us a lot about Jesus and they teach us a lot about his kingdom. So I'm gonna break it down into three 
shorter sections as we look at these 11 verses and we'll talk about some things that we can do based on those things. The first is uh, this, Jesus fulfills prophecy to send a signal to the people. Jesus fulfills pro prophecy uh, in order to send a message to the people. It's not random, right? I, I went down and I got, uh, my current Bible is not one of these Bibles that has maps in it, right? The one that I'm using most of the time now, but I went and got, went and got my, an old Bible, right? So we have these, we have these maps. And so we see that Jesus has been all over the place. He's been all over the country and he is almost always, that I can think of, he's almost always walking. And so he walks here, he walks there, he walks to Jericho, he walks to the Capernaum, he walks to the, again, he gets in a boat maybe, and he takes a boat across. But by and large, he's walking. Everywhere he goes, he's walking, walking. He's been walking from the upper parts of Galilee all the way down uh, the, the Jordan, that's a, a Jerusalem that's across, or the uh, Judea that's across the Jordan. He goes into Jericho, he gets to the edge of Jerusalem, and he just stops. And he says, I want you to go and get that donkey for me. And for some reason, this last mile, he doesn't walk. He's not tired. He certainly could be walking if he wanted to walk the rest of the way. He's sending a message. And the message that he is sending comes right out of the prophecy in Zechariah. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? And we have this picture of the king of Zion, right? Israel had been told that, they, that he would be coming. And when he comes, he would be coming on a donkey. That he wouldn't be coming on a, a war horse, right? He'd be coming on a donkey you becoming humbly we uh, probably have seen uh, old movies or you know we love our statues here in the united states of old uh war and generals and different people like that and especially when we can uh, picture those people seated on a horse right the horse is always tall and it's mighty and it's strong and we know what it looks like when uh, someone from a movie rolls in on a big strong horse they come in as a conqueror and jesus doesn't come in riding on this war horse. He comes in on a donkey. Uh, I haven't gotten to travel uh, really all that many places in the world, but I've been a number of places. And you know what I've seen when, when people are using donkeys? It's because they can't afford a horse by and large, right? The, the donkeys can do some hard work, but these are humble animals. They're uh, normally uh, cheaper. And so it just sends a message of humility. It, it sends a message of peace that Jesus comes riding on this donkey. It goes on in Zechariah 9 there to talk about the fact that this kingdom, it's going to be uh, from sea to sea, and that the blood of the covenant is going to be setting prisoners free. This is an incredibly good news passage that Jesus is referencing when he comes in on this donkey, fulfilling a messianic prophecy. And so he brings this message about righteousness. He brings this message about salvation when he comes in on his donkey. Uh, but, but he's also coming in and, uh, and he's, he's giving them an opportunity to respond. And that's the thing that I think is, because we sometimes, are we, are we sure that the people really know what's going on? And I think that people are absolutely sure. Uh, and this is where I see that in verses eight and nine, 
right? He, he, he does his uh, riding in on the donkey. And then it says in verse eight, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the ground. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so we see that the crowd understands by the response that they give. He comes in as a king on this humble donkey and they are immediately shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, we, we don't always get these pictures. Some of these things are hard because we don't speak these languages, but Jesus comes on a donkey and sends the message, your king is coming to you. And they respond with this, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They see this picture from Zechariah and they respond with these words from Psalm 118, 25 and 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. He comes on his donkey and they immediately say, save us, save us. That's what they're saying in verse nine when it says the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, that word Hosanna in Hebrew means save us. And so Jesus comes and they cry out to the Lord for help. They say, save us. And they acknowledge that Jesus is the one who's come in the name of the Lord. We could wonder, I guess, why the, how the people would know him, right? He's been gone from Jerusalem for a long time, right? At some point, the, um, the Pharisees and others have decided they're just going to kill Jesus. The first opportunity that they get and, and he uh, went away from town. So how is it that people just know who he is? But like I said a few minutes ago, this crowd had just been swelling. He brought a lot of these people right along with him. They saw blind Bartimaeus just, just previously to them coming in to Jerusalem. I think that was in Jericho. He heals the blind and they just joined right into the procession and they seen Jesus go along blessing people and teaching people and healing people and they are following him and there's another great picture in John chapter 12 so this is after Jesus has been at uh Bethany and he has uh had his feet anointed and they're talking about this plot to kill Lazarus and then then John gives his version of the triumphal entry this is in John chapter 12, and it starts in verse 12. John 12, 12 is where he puts the, uh, the triumphal entry. But down in John 12, 17, it says, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So how does the crowd know to be saying, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everybody is talking about this guy. He's been He's been healing the blind. He's been teaching people. He's been gracious. He's been loving. He's been helpful. He's been uh, freeing people. These are the kind of things that the Messiah was going to do. They knew that he was fulfilling messianic prophecies, like the ones that are in Luke chapter four. And they're bearing witness about what he's done to the other people that are around him. So we have this crowd of people that are around Jesus, and they are telling uh all of these fantastic things, right? They're, they're shouting out this good, uh, this good message about Jesus and who he is. And then other people who are in Jerusalem, who maybe haven't been, uh, don't have firsthand knowledge of some of these uh, miracles and other things that he's been doing, they ask this question, 
in chapter 10. It says, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so the question comes, who is this, right? That's the, what the people of Jerusalem are asking. And the response is, well, this is the prophet Jesus. He's been going around. He's doing all these things that the Messiah would do. And therefore, we're saying the Messiah, our king, has come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the question is, is it true that Jesus is a prophet? And it is absolutely true that he is a prophet. But he is more than a prophet. And it's a failure to say that he is a prophet and to leave out the rest of the story. He's more than a prophet. He is the Messiah. This is a critical part of the story. And not understanding this part is what allows some of the people in the crowd here on Palm Sunday to turn around later in the week and start saying, we should kill that guy. You're right, crucify him, crucify him. Because they don't have a real full understanding of who they are dealing with. If we go back in Matthew just a little bit, I'm going to turn to chapter 16. Um, we have this picture that I think is really, really helpful for us. So in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, we have this, this the heading says, Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, right? So in Matthew 21, they say, who, who is this? Who is this? And, the, and they say it's a prophet. Well, keep that in mind as we read from Matthew 16, uh, 13. Uh, actually, well, yeah, let's just start in 13, right? Now, when Jesus had come into the district of Caesarea Philippi, so I don't know that this matters to you. Hold up, Caesarea Philippi, it's way, it's way up here with Jerusalem way down here, right? This is the, this is the far ends of the work that he's going to be doing geographically. He's in Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to him, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And in verse 16, Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So in verse 13 here, the people are saying, who do who, or Jesus says, who do the people say that the son of man is? But then in verse 15, he says, who do the people say that I am? And so Jesus is tying together this idea, the son of man. What do they say about the son of man? What do they say about me? Because we're the same thing. Who do the people say the son of man is? Who do the people say that I am? We're the same thing. And Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And so Jesus, what does he do when Peter says that he is the Christ. Does he correct him? If you think back to John the Baptist, when people said, John the Baptist, and they asked, are you the Messiah? He immediately, no, 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 no. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not even worried to touch that guy's feet. I, I'm just, I'm not the Messiah. And so here, when Peter says you're the Messiah, does Jesus uh, reject that and uh, correct him? No, he doesn't at all. Jesus doesn't correct him. He doesn't reject the idea. He says, actually, Peter is blessed. Blessed are you, Simon, because you know these things, that uh, this has been revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. And so the people are asking, and really, in a lot of sense, we should be asking, who is Jesus? And the way that we answer that question really is uh, the way that um, the, the, the probably the most defining characteristic of our life. It shapes up everything that we 
uh, are. He's the, he's the Lord. And if he's really the Lord, then we can't be missing that point. So what do we do? Here, I just think a few things that we can do based on this uh, Palm Sunday text. First, we recognize that Jesus willingly went to the cross to pay for your sins. When he's way up in Capernaum, he sets his face for Jerusalem and he starts on his, he starts on his road and he doesn't stop until he's to the place that he needs to be. He didn't, uh, he wasn't coerced into that. He wasn't trapped in that. He wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jesus fixed his face for Jerusalem and he went there and he knew that he couldn't be touched until he accomplished his mission on the cross in Jerusalem at the Passover. Jesus willingly went to the cross to pay for our sin. In Hebrews, when we went through there, we saw that Jesus uh, endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He passed through the shame of all of these things. He passed through uh, the pain and he passed through the suffering and he passed through the separation that was in the cross for the joy that was set before him. And we can be people too that uh, look and we see uh, limits and we see shame and we see difficulty or we can look at the path that we have to follow the Lord and we can see joy. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, um, a lot's riding on how we answer that question. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing it out of duty? Am I doing it just because I have to? Is that, am I doing it because my family does this? Am I doing it because people will think bad of me if I don't do that? Jesus went to the cross for our sins and we, we follow him willingly for the joy that's set before us as well. D Jesus didn't come into the world because it needed a judge. It's got a judge. Jesus came into the world because it needed a savior, right? So we look at this place sometimes and we'll say, well, I'm just, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better because Jesus loved me and he died on the cross for me. And, um, and I'm just going to work harder, right? I'm going to, I'm going to just abuse myself. Maybe I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to just do everything that I can. Maybe God will love me more. These efforts that we make to try to clean ourselves up, right? They don't, they're not, God doesn't need that. It's unnecessary. Because Jesus, I feel like this is critical for us. Jesus does not love some future version of you. He doesn't love you once you're going to be perfect in heaven. He loves you now. You're a mess. He loves you when you were worse than you are today. Jesus loves you when you were at your very worst. Jesus loved you. And he gave you the opportunity to come out of that sin. He loves you. He came so that you could be saved from your sin. He went willingly to the cross, willingly to pay for our sins. The second thing is this. So we can see that being right does not mean that there won't be any challenges. In other versions of this story, Luke's version in particular, Jesus comes in on the donkey and the disciples are happy and people are throwing their coats on the ground and they're waving their branches and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he, comes in the, uh, he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees step right into that scene and say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I'm not going to rebuke them, right? You know this part of the story. He said, if I, if I tell them not to do this, then the, then the stones will cry out. They're doing the right thing. But we will often face opposition when we do the right thing. If we're standing for the Lord, there will be some people who do not like that. And when we stand for the Lord and they don't like that, then the question is, how are we going to handle that? Will we handle criticism and opposition by backing away? 
or we do, or we handle criticism and opposition by continuing to do what is right, what the Lord wants us to do. We can continue to be humble, happy, loving people who stand for the Lord and have grace and respect for the people that are around us. And so when we are opposed, because we will be opposed, when we are opposed, that people will oppose what we're saying and not oppose who we are. This was a, it's such a huge challenge for us when, that while we're in Malaysia, because I would uh, sometimes say something and, I, and honestly, I would feel like I was right in what I was saying, but I would say it in a way that was not kind, uh, right? I would say it in a way that was normal for, for the United States, right? I, we, had a, a, we had one time a, a neighbor child stole something from one of our children. And so in the United States, what you do about that is one dad goes to the other dad and says, hey, your kid stole this from my kid. Can we talk about that? And then uh, when we went to that person's house, the dad, the kid had said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. The dad said, go get it. And the kid went and got it and gave it back. But those people never spoke to us again. There are things that you can do and be right. And still it's, it's difficult, right? So we're going to face uh, opposition. As we face opposition, we're doing what's right. We can do that in a way that is still humble and graceful and loving so that we're not making just a cultural mistakes or we're not just being, um, just causing a front in our personality or the way that we handle things. And instead, when we re recognize people reject it, it's because people are rejecting the gospel and not because they're rejecting us. Then the third thing is this, everyone, everyone needs to have the correct answer to the identity of Jesus. If we downplay who he is, it shows up in our life. If you believe him to be the Lord, that will be clear in your life. If you believe that he's just a great prophet, that also will be evident in your life. If we believe that Jesus is the only way for people to be saved, that's going to show up in your life. And if we believe people can be saved some other way, that will also show up in your life. We're not going to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect, right? This side of heaven, we are not going to be perfect. But we are called to just live a life of faith in Christ and in the work that he is doing in us. So we can be on Palm Sunday and we can look around at the people and recognize even sometimes in our midst, people who are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and shaking their palm branches will be just a few days later saying, crucify, crucify. People need to know the whole story because they have to answer correctly about who Jesus is. Christ is alive, so we need to live like it. I grabbed this uh, screenshot earlier. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can see it as well, but it's just that verse from uh, "It Is Well." It just really blessed me. We were singing that today, right? And this verse in particular always really stands out to me. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. That's the freedom that we have because Good Friday is coming, because Easter is coming. That our sin, nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. So let's be graceful, hopeful, loving, evangelistic people who recognize all around us, there's a world that is trapped in darkness. No matter what their religion or lack of religion, they're trapped in darkness. They're separated from Christ and they cannot, they cannot with any hope at all, 
think that their sin has been paid in full. My sin, not in part, but the whole. That's the hope that we should have for every human being, that they could stand before Christ someday and say, not in part, but the whole. That here, when they lose loved ones, when they get a cancer diagnosis, when something seems to go wrong, when, they, when they're thinking, man, nothing ever goes my way. My family doesn't have what we need to have. All the different kind of challenges that we face. My employer is horrible. I hate my job. Uh, I'm locked in my house. I'm separated from all the people that I love. That we can just remember we have this incredible gift that our sin, not some of our sin, not our past sin, all of our sin was nailed to the cross and we don't have to carry it anymore. So let's be people who, who graciously and lovingly and again, evangelistically go and share this truth that our king has come. Our king has come humble, riding on a, riding on a donkey. And we can respond with Lord, save us. Lord, save us. That's what we, we need. We've been waiting for you all this time. Let's pray together. Father, whether it's um, somebody that's in the church building this morning, whether they're watching from home live, whether it's, uh, Lord, it could be potentially years down the road that they're finding this on Facebook or uh, on YouTube. It's been shared somewhere and they have the opportunity. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that, that, that these words really do minister. I thank you for the way that you um, Lord, just speak to us, not just through your words, but through your actions, that you walked until it was time for you to not walk anymore because you needed to uh, send a message. And Lord, where you could have uh, come into our lives as a conqueror on a war horse and brought judgment and the Lord just crushed us in our spirit because of our sin and disobedience. Instead, you came humbly offering us the gift of eternal life if we place our faith in you. And so, Lord, we are grateful for that opportunity. I pray that you would bless as we go through this holy week, Lord, as we think about the cross on Good Friday, as we think about uh, the joy that comes there on Easter morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who not only say, Hosanna, save us, uh, but and, and maybe they, we say, save us and mean ourselves, but Lord, make us to be people who say, save us and mean the people that are around us as well. Save us, save the people in my family. Lord, save us, save the people in my community. Save us, save the people that I work with. Save us, save my neighbors. And Lord, the people that I know and love at the, at the sports club or that I play golf with or uh, that, uh, that I see in the Pasar every day. Lord, would you be at work in us and in our families and in our community? We thank you for the grace that you've shown IBCBI. Lord, what a blessing it's been for me just to hear them worship today, it's been, uh, it's, it's been um, convicting and humbling and challenging. So I pray that you would continue to bless the church and Lord give opportunity for the door to be open so that the, uh, the believers can gather there in person and be a, a blessing to one another. And so we pray that you would just watch us through this week. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus name. Amen.